Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. If you are new here, uh, welcome. We hope that you experience family, mission, presence, formation. We also hope that you experience that we are just fun people, and we're very serious about following Jesus, and we're very serious about like actually having a good time while we do it. So um, another value we have is the Bible, so we're going to transition to that. I'm so sorry, that was awful. It's like I've never done this before, but I do want to jump straight into God's Word, and and so all we uh, here, I mean, we have a high view of this book. Uh, we believe this whole book is inspired by God. Uh, all of it is equally inspired. There are parts that I would say that we lean into more, specifically as we're trying to follow Jesus. There are four books at the very beginning of the New Testament. So if this is new to you, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, these are what we call the Gospels in like church world. And it's basically four accounts, almost four biographies of the life of Jesus. So two of them were written by like actual followers of him, Matthew and John. They followed him around for three and a half years. Two of them, uh, and I love this part too, two of them were actually not eyewitnesses. They were people that might have known him from a distance, but then did a ton of interview work, did a ton of work like finding out what was the deal with him, you know, what did you experience when you were with him, and so that's uh, Mark and Luke. And, and we know especially from the end of one of the Gospels, it says, if I was to write down everything that Jesus did in those three and a half years, there would not be enough books in the world to contain it. So we know that if any one of these four chose to write down anything about the life of Jesus, that must be pretty important. I mean, anything that they thought was like worthy of putting in that book, that must be, they must want us to know that for a reason. Whatever their uh, purpose of writing their gospel was, they found certain stories, certain teachings of Jesus to be really, really influential. And oftentimes you'll even see like Matthew and Mark will overlap or you'll hear the same story twice. Occasionally you'll get three of them. And then there are the rare few stories that all four gospel account writers chose to include. So of course, next week we're gonna be talking about one of them. Spoiler alerts, the resurrection. That's included in all four. There's a few other uh, stories. Christmas actually is only in two. That's pretty crazy. I mean, the birth story of Jesus, two of them included. But the story we're going to talk about today, and, and if you're familiar with church calendar, today is Palm Sunday. It is one of those rare stories where no matter if you're Matthew writing to Jews or Luke writing to Greeks, all four of these people chose to include that story. And so today is Palm Sunday, and we might as well explore why would they be so interested in making sure of all the things they could have included, that they wanted to make sure we knew about this triumphal entry, this Palm Sunday. And so uh, we're going to be answering four questions this morning. Uh, I'm going to answer three of them for you, so most of the work is on me. The fourth one, as always, is on you. So what? How do we follow Jesus in light of this? But the three questions that I'm going to answer, and this is in your notes, why that day, why that way, and why that song? So why did it have to happen on that Sunday? Why did he come in in such a unique way, like he came in riding on a donkey and they were waving palm branches? And why did they keep singing that song? They kept saying the same thing over and over again as Jesus came into the city. 
and it's, a, it's in all four Gospels. We're going to be in John this morning, so um, get out your phones. Let's go to John 12, and uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read the whole thing right now. It's John 12, 12 to 15. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And then Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it, it, because as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And so uh, this is 12 through 15. This is John's account of uh, that Palm Sunday, that triumphal entry. I want to rewind like 11 verses. I want to just really quickly read John 12, 1, uh, because it gives a little bit of context. It says, Six days before the Passover... Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now I want to skip the last part somehow, like the actual like juicy resurrection part. Let's like ignore that for a second. I want to just look at the very boring, very beginning of that verse where it says, six days before Passover. So verse one says, six days before Passover, and Passover was this big holiday, and if you are here last week, uh, Megan, our kids leader, she was teaching about this. It's this big holiday that the Jews celebrated every year. It celebrated the fact that God had released them from Egypt 2,000 years before that, that God had rescued them from Egypt from this like oppressive regime that was awful. And the way they celebrated was they um, sacrificed a lamb and they put lamb's blood with, who was listening last week? Hyssop. I'll let Megan know that all of you shouted it with so much energy. That's what she taught on last week, hyssop. And um, and so they put the lamb's blood with hyssop on the door, and it was a way of remembering, and that was that first Passover, but every year after that, it was the way of remembering God rescued his people, and God was faithful. And so um, verse 1 says it's six days before Passover. Verse 12 says the very next day, this is not a trick question, six minus one. Now, how many days are we before Passover? Five. Five. We are killing it this morning. Five days before Passover, not a big deal. Except, in Exodus 12, 2,000 years before, God said, when you celebrate Passover, and you can check this, Exodus 12, it says, I want you on Passover to sacrifice a lamb, but five days before, I want you to find that lamb, I want you to find your Passover lamb, and for the next five days, I want you to examine it, and I want you to make sure it's a worthy sacrifice for the day that's coming. This is in your notes, did you know that Jesus enters Jerusalem the very same day the Passover lambs would have been chosen. Guys, the Bible is, like, kind of awesome. <laughs> Guys, the Bible is, like, amazing. It, and I know it's so old. It's just so old. But this book is actually still pointing us to Jesus. And this book has so much, like, things that we can check. And it's like, man, this is actually true. This book actually is speaking the truth. And it's pointing us towards this unbelievable life that Jesus lived. And it does things, I know it's way too early for like prophetic parallels in the Old Testament, but it's amazing how true this book lines up Jesus' life. And so on the very same day that all of these Jews would have been coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, to choose their lamb, to find out which one was going to be worthy and without blemish, was the very same day that Jesus chose to come into Jerusalem. That's why he chose that day. Then it says in 14 and 15, it says, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. For as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And, uh, and John's just quoting Zechariah 9. 
there where it talks about the Messiah coming in. And when the Messiah comes in, the Old Testament was prophesying that he would be righteous and victorious. And it said that he was going to come in riding on a, on a donkey. And it said that he would come in with humility. But that as he came in with humility, he would bring peace to the nations. And so the people, they're remembering this Old Testament prophecy. They're remembering that, that whoever the Messiah is is going to come in that way. The problem was, at least with this first Passover, is that Passover just in general was a big time of revolt. It was a time of like when you could push back on the, the regime that was in charge. Because, of course, 2,000 years before this, Egypt was that regime. Egypt was that unbelievably violent, unbelievably cruel uh, opposing force that was keeping God's people under its thumb. And so that meant every Passover, as people started to flock into Jerusalem, there was a little bit of buzz. There's a little bit of expectancy of like, man, what God did back then, I wonder if he'll do again. And so Passover was not just this Jewish holiday. It was also this time of like expectancy and revolt. And maybe this is the day that he actually does what he did back then. Now, Rome, of course, the power at the time, incredibly aware of this, also incredibly smart. So Caesar would always, every Passover, he would send in all these extra troops. So as the people of Israel are coming into Jerusalem, Rome is sending their troops in as well, including the guy that was in charge. You may have heard of him. His name's Pontius Pilate. So Jesus coming from Bethany, he's coming in from the east, he's coming down this big, beautiful hill, and he's coming in, and he's going to enter Jerusalem through what they aptly called the East Gate, which is on the east. And at the same time, this other king, Pontius Pilate, would have been coming from Caesarea, coming from the west, and he would have entered Jerusalem around that same time in a very different kind of way. Riding a war horse, surrounded by tr troops, soldiers with swords and spears. So Jesus enters Jerusalem from the east. Pontius Pilate enters from the west. And that first Palm Sunday was not just a day of celebration. It was actually a tale of two processionals. It was a tale of two kingdoms coming together. And from the west, there was this unbelievable army starring Pontius Pilate. He had these horses and these swords and these spears. And from the east, you had a carpenter who was potentially hailed a rabbi. There was a little bit of buzz that he could have been the Messiah. And he was coming in with peasants, and he was riding on a donkey. Both of them were kings. Both of them had some kind of following in their own right. And it wasn't the last time, or it won't be the last time, and it wasn't the first time, that people in this city were forced to choose which kingdom they wanted to align with. So the first Passover, or the first Palm Sunday was not just this celebration, but it was also what king and what kingdom do you want to be a part of? Now, this is the last Sunday that we don't have a screen, but if we had a screen, I, uh, I had the unbelievable ability to go to uh, Israel like three years ago, and I have pictures like all along this road, and it's really, really neat. You'll just have to come back next year and see like my selfie with um, the road from Bethany to Jerusalem. But I, so when I first got to Israel, I was there, and I was invited by this group. They let me pay like $500, which was amazing. Like I sat in my own room. We ate really well. And I remember sitting there. I was kind of like a last-minute invite. And I remember sitting in the hotel, because you had to be a lead pastor, and you had to have never been to Israel before. And so I checked both the boxes, and I, along with lots of other people in their 60s and 70s, checked that box. I was like easily the youngest person there. 
and uh, last minute invite, and I'm there, and I'm sitting, and it seems like everybody else knows each other, and I remember sitting in the lobby uh, where we were just having dinner, and all I could think about is like, just don't be mean, don't be mean, because you're so jet lagged. You're just, you're so tired, and I'm sitting there eating with this older married couple and this older lady, and I, uh, I remember the three of them are talking, and this lady who had to be in her 70s, some of you heard this story, but she had to be in her 70s, and she's like, yeah, after this, I get to go to Singapore, I get to go see the Katy Perry concert, and then I'll end up back home. <laughs> and I'm like, man, you must be really jet lagged, because you thought that that 70-year-old lady said something about Katy Perry. And I'm listening to then the three of them all talk, and they keep talking about Katy and her concert and how this lady had come from Paris, but now she's going to Singapore to see Katy Perry. And it's like, you are in your 70s. Like, you really are. And, uh, but I wait. Like three, four minutes. And finally, I was like, I'm sorry. Did you say that you're going to the Katy Perry concert in Singapore? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I just got back from Paris. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm sorry, why? <laughs> and, uh, and this lady, I think her name was Mary, she looked at me and she said, oh, Katie's my daughter. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> totally. I, yeah. And they all knew that. I knew that. I was confused. I didn't know you were that Mary. <laughs> and so my new goal, sitting there at that table, went from like, don't be mean, don't be mean, to like, don't smile, don't smile, <laughs> don't smile. You're in Israel with Katie Perry's mom. <laughs> and I just got through the meal ran back to my hotel room, connected to the Wi-Fi, and texted everybody I knew. <laughs> and I'm not even like a huge Katy Perry fan, but I'm like, how did I end up there with her? And not only that, but there was this loophole that everybody else had figured out, where if you have a second campus at your church, you can bring someone else. So all of these people were married there with their spouses, except for two people, Chris and the 70-year-old Mary Hudson. And so guess who got to tour Israel together? <laughs> Look, guys, lots of people have floated in the Dead Sea. That's old news. I have floated in the Dead Sea while the life giver of Katy Perry held my phone and took pictures of me. It's hilarious that this is what you guys clapped for. <laughs> so, next year, on Palm Sunday, if I get to preach or in three or four, whenever, you'll see not just pictures of the road from Bethany down to Jerusalem. You'll see selfies with me and Mary Hudson, a.k.a. Katy Perry's mom, together. Um, actually, two and a half weeks later, this is just an aside since that was all super relevant, uh, I found myself sitting in the new arena in Las Vegas, because that's where we lived at the time, listening to Carly Rae Jepsen open for Katy Perry because Mary had given Catherine and I tickets to go. And I'll tell you, one of the two co-pastors in this church was so excited that I got to hear Carly Rae Jepsen. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> okay, it says that they took palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. This is in your notes, Hosanna. That's that big word. That's that big song that they were singing as Jesus came from Bethany into Jerusalem. They were singing Hosanna, and it means to save it means please save, it means salvation now, and it's found originally in Psalm 118. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've heard that word, right? You've heard Hosanna, and I'm about to blow your mind. But it's actually Hoshana. Yeah, I'm so sorry. 
Hillsong, Bethel, they've all been paying me to keep quiet, but I can keep quiet no longer. It is actually not in the Hebrew. It's not Hosanna. It's Hoshana. Say it with a little umph. And what it means, it takes on this connotation of like, God, we are helpless and you must come and save. And it's found in Psalm 118, which is a psalm that's talking about the coming Messiah. And it has a little bit of military connotation. So when you're singing this song, it's not just, oh, save me. It's like, no, save me. Come in and bring your justice, God. And so we know, because we've been around here and we always listen to the things that I say, we know that this one page right here between Malachi 4 and Matthew 1, okay, this is between your Old and New Testament, we know this represents 400 years of not documented in the Bible, but uh, of history, that nothing, the Bible doesn't speak to those 400 years. We know, however, from lots of other historians, exactly what happened. And so what happened in that one page, in those 400 years, uh, Alexander the Great tried to turn the world Greek. And he did a pretty good job. He took over a lot of the known world, but as he does, he dies pretty young and leaves this huge kingdom to be squabbled over. Now, relevance is coming. People tried to take over that part of the kingdom or this part, and one of them rose to power. His name is Antiochus Epiphanes IV. I know we all knew that. I just had to say it. But Antiochus Epiphanes IV comes to power, and he specifically comes to power over Israel. And he was awful. Alexander the Great was like a teddy bear compared to this guy. This guy hated religion, and he specifically hated Judaism. He, and he hated it so much that he chose to try to get rid of it on his own. He would be the one that eliminated God's people and eliminated the worship of Yahweh. He did awful things in the temple. He did awful things in Jerusalem. And they, the Israelites, were so oppressed in those 400 years until one day a family named the Maccabees. Maybe you've heard of them. They say enough is enough. And we're going to get together an army and we're going to go take on Greece. And city by city by city, they push the Greeks off of Israel. And it pains me to say this, but March Madness has nothing on this story right here. This is the greatest underdog story of all time. Where this family, this ragtag group of army, they push back the most powerful um, empire at the time. Until finally one day they take back their city. They take back Jerusalem. And they took it back on the very first day of a holiday, a Jewish holiday, called the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles, of course, was celebrated by lighting a candle once, every eight, or once a day for eight days in a row. The problem was the Maccabees only had enough oil for one until God miraculously stretched it and we have our very first Hanukkah. Did you know that the Feast of Tabernacles was also a holiday that was celebrated in a very specific way? It was the lighting of the candles. It also was the waving of palm branches and the singing of Hoshana. What do you think was associated after that very, fir or that very first Hanukkah and after that Feast of Tabernacles? What do you think was now associated with throwing off an awful oppressive regime? The waving of palm branches and the singing of Hoshana. D.A. Carson, he's like a New Testament scholar, very, very smart. Uh, don't just take my word for it. it uh, when they were waving the palm branches, when they were singing Hoshana as Jesus was coming in, D.A. Carson says it may have well signaled the nationalist hope that a messianic liberator was arriving on the scene. Some scholars even go further and say saying that word, singing that song was actually illegal because it carried so much violent connotation. So, 
Now I want to picture Jesus coming in to Jerusalem. And it's not just a celebration of Jesus. It's a celebration and a longing for God. Do to Rome what you did to the Greeks. Do to them what you did with Judah Maccabee. And they're not celebrating the kind of revolt that Jesus is leading. They're celebrating the kind of revolt that they're used to. And they're not celebrating the Jesus that's coming to bring peace. They're celebrating, hopefully, the next Judah Maccabee. But Jesus turned out to be very, very different. They wanted a military Messiah, and Jesus turned out to be one that just brought peace. And I've heard this story over and over again. I grew up in church. I heard the Sunday story of how Palm Sunday, but then five days later, they're yelling, crucify him. And it didn't make any sense to me until I started to understand this. They weren't actually celebrating the person of Jesus. They were celebrating this idea that he could be the one that frees them. He could be the one that actually overthrows Rome. And in the next five days, Jesus says nothing against Rome. He actually at one point says, no, it's, a, it's okay to pay your taxes to Rome. That would be the right thing to do. And he more and more speaks against the Jewish faith or specifically the Jewish leaders. And so after a while, the people of course, led by the Jewish leaders, started to be a little bit disappointed with the regime that Jesus was talking about. This isn't the one that I wanted. This isn't the kind of kingdom that I wanted you to institute. And so often, and most likely, the same people yelling Hoshina and waving the palm branches are the same ones being rallied up by the Jewish leaders five days later yelling, crucify him. And so that very first Palm Sunday, Jesus comes in from Bethany, the same day the Passover lambs are being chosen, around the same time that this other king would have come in from the west, and it's not the last time, it's not the first time, but we see two kingdoms that are at war. And we see a city caught in the middle. And we see people forced to choose which kingdom are you going to align with. Guys, aren't the, weren't the Jews just so silly? I mean, wasn't that just so like finicky of them? Wasn't that just so awful? Or do we at times as a culture do the same thing? Are there times that we try to form Jesus into our image? Has there ever been a time that we've tried to manipulate Jesus to align with our preferences? Is the Savior that we want and the Savior that he is sometimes a little bit different? This is in your notes, and this is the big question I want to I land on this morning. Where does the kingdom that you want and the kingdom that he brings look differently? Where does the kingdom that, he want, or that you want and the kingdom that he brings look differently? Because Palm Sunday is not just a celebration. At least that first one was not. It was a tale of two contrasting kingdoms that came together, one offering peace through violence, the other offering peace through humility. And guys, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is where he takes us. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is good to know. Jesus is going to take you straight into the heart of your enemies. But he's going to take you there with love and humility and compassion. And we, as a culture, we have the opportunity, the privilege, but also the responsibility to start to align our kingdom to his. And so these questions aren't meant to bring any condemnation. Seriously, no condemnation. But conviction is welcomed. I just want to ask these questions and see where we're at. Does the kingdom that we build, does the kingdom that we're starting to form, does it cancel people? 
or does it extend grace? Does our kingdom stereotype or listen? Does our kingdom shame or forgive? Does our kingdom mute all progressives or do we ostracize Trump voters? Does our kingdom assign blame for COVID to a certain religion or a certain race or does it blame it on the anti-vaxxers? I know we missed the Katy Perry story. But does our kingdom even extend out of Cincinnati? Does it extend out of America? Does our kingdom mourn with Myanmar and celebrate church growth in Iran? What kind of kingdom are we building? Does our kingdom say the poor is somebody else's problem? Or does our kingdom say you're not rich enough to be generous yet? Does our kingdom gossip around issues or do we confront them in love? Does our kingdom live in comparison or does it celebrate others? Does our kingdom carry humility or pride? Purity or lust? Forgiveness or bitterness? Does the kingdom that we are trying to build here as a church, as a community, as followers of Jesus, does our kingdom bring together or do we divide? And those are the questions I think Jesus is asking as he's inviting us to build his kingdom. And there are so many, so many crazy things about the kingdom that Jesus brings. And there's so many crazy things about Jesus. One of the craziest is that the most capable, powerful, unbelievable man ever actually invites us to co-steward, co-create, and co-reign with each other in his kingdom. He actually invites us to create and help steward the kingdom that he's ushering in. It's one of the craziest things about this book and about that man that he could do whatever he wants, and he actually wants us to be a part of it. And he invites us to start building a kingdom that's centered around him. And the kingdom that we're supposed to build, the kingdom that we're so joyfully invited into, it cares and defends truth like crazy. But it does so with unbelievable love. Jesus started a new kind of kingdom and he's inviting us into it. It's a kingdom that is going to launch next week, not with our church launch, but with the resurrection. It's a kingdom that he instituted with his followers and he's inviting us actually to get a chance to do it with him. And so this morning, the biggest thing that I felt, I didn't feel like actually this was a personal response. I felt like as, as a new community, as the church expressed in downtown Cincinnati, I felt like this was a communal response for us to say, yeah, we'll align with that kingdom. And we're not going to pass around a contract. We're not going to sign anything. But there's a certain kingdom that Jesus is bringing, and he's inviting us. And I, as just somebody that has the microphone today, I would love to encourage us to say yes. I'd love for this community to say yes to the things that he came to do. And instead of palm branches this Palm Sunday, we actually we have the privilege of laying down our lives. We have the privilege of laying down our preferences. And, uh, and so our response is, again, not one of shame, not one of condemnation. Our response is one of conviction and absolute worship. And so if the band can come down, I, uh, I want us to respond as a community. I want us to respond to this, this brand new church. And if you're not sure if this is your place, that's okay. If you're sure this is your place, we would just say, come on, let's do it. There is, there is a kingdom that's being formed in this city. And there's a kingdom that's actually having influence all over the world. And we want to say yes. It's corporate, not personal. And I want us to start to ask that first question. Where does my kingdom, where does our kingdom that we've been building, 
and the kingdom that Jesus brought, where do they look different? Where are there aspects of that and aspects of this that just don't quite align? So if you would open your hands and maybe bow your heads, close your eyes. We're just going to get in a posture of prayer. And uh, especially if you, if you mean this, I'm going to pray and, and I'm going to just repent of some things that I think all of us are probably guilty of, but I can only speak for me. And we're going to invite in his kingdom. And so, Jesus, we are sorry. Jesus, I am sorry for the times that I formed you into my image. Jesus, we're sorry for trying to build our own kingdom in the way that we preference. And we say yes to yours. We say yes to everything that you brought. We say yes to every part of the kingdom that you instituted. We want that to be a part of City Church. We want that to be a part of our community. And so, Jesus, come. Hosanna. Jesus, save. Jesus, rest on us. Jesus, come take the burden off of us. Jesus, come let this church look like the kingdom that you initially instituted. It's in his name we pray. Amen.